Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for March 2nd, 2018. And we have a 10-game slate here. First game of the night, the Detroit Pistons at the Orlando Magic. So from the Pistons side of the game, Blake Griffin's price has now gone all the way down to 7400 which is just ridiculously low. His last few games have been bad. The Pistons have also been involved in a lot of blowouts recently that have uh, limited his minutes. So he was actually going pretty decently last game against the Bucs. Uh, Griffin was at 28.25 fantasy points in only 25 minutes. And the reason he didn't play as much is because the Pistons, who have been getting blown out a ton recently, beat the Bucs by uh, 23 points somehow. But also Griffin was at 8 points, 9 rebounds, 7 assists. So he was on his way to... Double-double and triple-double bonuses. Obviously, Matt knows I always like those. Uh, But anyway, the point is that Griffin was playing much better last game than he had been playing recently. And 7,400, I just think, is way too cheap for his upside in this matchup. Uh, Another guy who I like here, Ish Smith, his price is also down. But Orlando Magic, said this a bunch of times this year, they're one of the worst teams in the league against point guards. Ish Smith's minutes were also down last game. It was due to the same blowout issue. So we've seen some of the minutes be a little erratic for the Pistons over the last few games, but don't read too much into it. It's just one-sided games. From the Magic side of the game, it's it's hard to roster Vucevic or Aaron Gordon because neither one of them are really playing a ton of minutes right now. Like I expect them at some point to play more minutes. But on a 10-game slate, I think I'd rather see them play somewhere in the mid-30s minutes than just hope that they do it. So I don't really think anybody's a particularly strong play from Orlando. Well, on the Pistons, I definitely agree with you on Griffin. And I think Ish Smith probably is a really strong play too. Um, And Drummond might even be marginal. So it doesn't seem to make much sense to use any, any combination of more than one of those guys. Uh, we don't have a lot of we don't our sample size on Detroit with Blake Griffin isn't big, but I would think that because Griffin has sort of been playing that point forward role, that him and Ish Smith would negatively correlate just from the assists that they would get, and then Griffin and Drummond are negatively correlating on rebounds. So I think I would only use a pair of those guys together if I was also using the Magic side of the game. And, but it does feel like a reach to use the Magic, and I think with a slate this big. Game stacking just isn't the right move unless it's a really strong spot. So I think having some Griffin, some Ish Smith, maybe some Drummond, and then I think even Fournier and Vucevic and Gordon might be worth having a little bit of exposure to. But I think I'm off stacking this game because the combinations just, there isn't that much value in the price tags. I think it's more just a lot of fringe plays outside of Griffin and Ish Smith who I would use independently. Yeah, and... Like we said, I mean, 10 games slate. When there's this many games, you don't really need a strategy for plays. So the next game here, the Charlotte Hornets at the Philadelphia 76ers. From the Hornets side of the game, we have uh, who's uh, Cody, Cody Zeller's question with the sore knee. He missed last game. And then we also have Michael Kidd-Gilchrist questionable for the second straight game with the strained hamstring. So last game against the Celtics... Jeremy Lamb didn't really end up playing a ton of minutes. He also didn't play well when he was out on the court. I think that he is a worthy GPP play if Kid Gilchrist is out. Lamb was really chalky last game and didn't play well. He's still he still is upside if Kid Gilchrist doesn't play. 
and I assume that nobody's going to want to roster him after the dud he put up last game. Another thing also about the last game against the Celtics, he came off the bench as opposed to starting. I still think he would probably come off the bench again, but maybe the Hornets would be willing to mix it up since they got blown out so badly last game. Also, the last game was a really tough matchup against the Celtics in Boston. Uh, Dwight Howard, I think we both expect him to play a lot of minutes with Cody Zeller last game, and it didn't happen. It's hard to know if that's just because of the blowout or also because something that I think we might have overlooked a little bit is that at the trade deadline, the Hornets traded for Willie Hernan Gomez from the Knicks. So earlier in the year when Zeller was out and Dwight Howard was playing a lot of minutes, they just didn't really have a backup center. So maybe it does stand to reason that if they could get like 15 or so minutes from Willie Hernan Gomez, that Howard would just not play quite as many minutes as we saw him play earlier. But I think at 7,300, he's still worth rostering if Cody Zeller is out because I, I think that there is still more ceiling for minutes. So I'd say uh, Dwight, probably not a cash game play, but a good, GP, a good GPP play if Zeller's out because there is the potential for him to play like 35-plus minutes. Um, let me just throw in a couple things on Howard and Lamb before we go to the Celtics side. Yeah. Marvin Williams, I think, also missed some of those games when Cody Zeller was out. So there might have even been less guys to back up Dwight Howard than we were even talking about. But Hernan Gomez sort of hurts that too. But I, I still think I agree with you. Howard has a lot of upside. But there's still a chance that he plays only 28 to 30 minutes, somewhere in that range, even in a close game. So Howard is definitely risky. But Jeremy Lamb also last game, he checked in in the first quarter with three or four minutes left. And then he was pulled with about three minutes left in the second quarter because he just couldn't hit a shot. And I think if Lamb had been playing better, he would have played a few extra minutes in the first half. Um, and then he was pulled from the game in the second half with five minutes left because the Hornets were down 30 or so points and they just went to all of their younger players. I think Lamb would normally play some of garbage time if the game was more in strike, like a 20 to 25 point margin. But in the 30 to 40 point range, they're not leaving anyone who's even remotely irregular in. So Lamb lost a lot of minutes because of the blowout last game and because he just wasn't playing well. And I think he still ended up around, what was it, 22 minutes? Uh, I think we can expect him to play 30 uh, in this game. I think it was 25 minutes. Yeah, so he definitely, he would have played more if, one, he was playing better, and then, two, if the game wasn't a blowout. Yeah, it was actually 25 and a half minutes. Right, so I I think we can expect to see 30 to 32 minutes from Lamb or something, something around those numbers. Yeah, and he's also just a lot better than Travion Graham. So if if Graham starts not so well, which I would kind of expect, and then Lamb comes in and plays well, they're just going to play Lamb a lot more the rest of the game. Uh, one more thing on Lamb. If Kid Gilchrist is out, but Zeller is in, do you think that that hurts Lamb's upside at all, or those guys just aren't related in their minutes? No, I, th- I think not related, because Zeller exclusively plays center. But it could mean that Kaminsky moves down to power forward, and then Marvin Williams plays more small forward, and maybe that cuts into Jeremy Lamb a little. I would think it's probably negligible, but it could Kaminsky be... Also doesn't, Kaminsky doesn't play a lot of center minutes anyway. Yeah, or maybe it's Hernan Gomez, or whatever. I, I guess, like, Marvin Williams plays three or four, so they could go bigger lineups if they have Zeller available. But I, I think that's a mild concern anyway. Uh, and from the other side of the game, the Sixers, uh, Joel Embiid, I think, is a really strong play at 9,400. Even though it's a tail end of a back-to-back, the Sixers are fighting for a playoff spot. Embiid's been playing back-to-backs, and I think his minutes have been fine in those situations, and I think he's even played well in them. I'll bring up those numbers really quick. Oh, yeah, I was saying they were playing the uh, Celtics before, right? That was last game. Yeah, this is Hornets yeah. in Philly. 
So Joel Embiid is actually, he's played three games without rest this year. He's playing 33 minutes per game and scoring 52 fantasy points in those games. I'm totally fine with him in no rest here. Uh, 9,400 is too cheap for Embiid. I think he's a really strong guy to pay up for. Uh, somebody else who I think is worth looking at, out of nowhere, Robert Covington played 41 minutes last night. His minutes had been down recently, and I was expecting him to play less minutes because they added Ersan Ilyasova to the to the uh, to their lineup. But still, 41 minutes for Covington last night. If he's gonna keep playing those kind of minutes, and I'm not really sure what it is that had him play 41 minutes, uh, like who played less? Uh, nobody really. I mean, Redick played 29. Well, guys like uh, TLC and uh, Justin Anderson, they both weren't playing right, but they but Marco Bellinelli is there now. Reddick's healthy. They yeah, they just they just played Covington forty one minutes. So, I mean, at that price, I think Covington's worth playing because they felt the need to play him forty one minutes tonight. So, I, it stands to reason that that could happen again tomorrow. He so might have got a minutes bump just to guard LeBron, and the Hornets don't really have a player. Jeremy well, Lamb. Yeah, no one's like LeBron, but the the Hornets' best players are their point guard and their center. So, yeah, no one's like LeBron, but if if a team had a scoring wing player or, like, a power forward, maybe that means Covington needs to play more to guard him. Yeah, maybe Covington has to play more minutes to guard Jeremy Lamb, and then you can stack Lamb and Covington together. No, I don't think think Covington will play as much because the LeBron impact probably was part of it. But yeah, even if he plays 35, 36, whatever, something like that, it's still worth using him at 4,800. All right. The next game on the slate, the Golden State Warriors at the Atlanta Hawks. This is blowout risk written all over it. Warriors favored by 13 points. So not really a massive spread, but something that, Matt, you brought up before, which I definitely think holds true. The 13-point spread definitely accounts for the Warriors not having starters in the fourth quarter and the... Hawks getting a backdoor cover. Yeah, so let me uh, let me clarify that the Hawks are more likely to cover than the Warriors are to have Curry or Durant in the game at the end. Yes. So that, yeah, that, uh, that's that's kind of what we mean. If for people who don't know what backdoor cover is or things like that, it's more the Warriors could be up twenty points and the Hawks could make a run late and lose by ten, but that still wouldn't mean the Warriors starters are playing at the end of the game. So a lot of blowout risk here, and then also we've uh, Durant priced up to ten thousand two hundred. Curry's at ninety eight hundred. It's definitely good matchups, but I just think there's other places I'm going to prefer to pay up. Uh, from the Atlanta side of the game, let's see what are the prices here. It, nothing that I'm overly interested in. There's just too much blowout risk here, and the Warriors are also just a good defensive team, and obviously. Uh, good offensive team as well. I think the defense tends to get overlooked a little bit because people just see that they give up a decent amount of points per game, but they do a pretty good job of limiting fantasy points to pretty much every position. Well, something that's notable just because it's it's a weird thing to see after what he was priced at for the last month or two, Torian Prince is up to 6,000 after, what, was it one good game that he's had in the last three weeks? So definitely not using Torian Prince. He might even be popular. He didn't even play, he didn't even play well in the rookie sophomore game. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he just had one random good game a couple of days ago against against the Lakers, and I guess he's just I don't know I don't know what's going on with Torian Prince. He was much better early in the season. Uh, but one Hawks player I do think I would use is John Collins. 
because he probably would still play some of garbage time, even though he's starting now. He's a younger player. The Hawks want to get minutes too. So I don't think he loses too many minutes, even in a blowout. And I don't think the Hawks are going to be down 30 points or something where they go to like their, I guess like their C team lineup. They, they probably will keep some of their regulars in the rotation in the game late, as long as they're not down by too many points. So I think Collins can play around 30 minutes, no matter what the score is. He's at 5,900, which is actually, I think he was a little bit more expensive than that on the last slate. Um, maybe that's a bit marginal because this is a big slate, but if there isn't a ton of value that opens up, I think Collins would at least make the player pool. Yeah, he's just too fringy for me on a 10-game slate. I'm just assuming that there's going to be better plays because there's so many games, uh, but who knows? Maybe that won't be the case. Uh, next game is the Denver Nuggets at the Memphis Grizzlies. I'm interested to see what the spread ends up opening for this game. There, I mean, not the spread, the uh, the total. There is none right now because of the Memphis injuries, which every night there's a lot of Memphis injuries. Every single slate we're dealing with, like there's three Memphis players ruled out and there's like four guys who are questionable. That's just the status quo for their injury report. So the last game, Matt and I ended up liking the Memphis and Suns game a pretty decent amount by game time. But when we were breaking it down the night before, we were kind of just on the Memphis side and not as much on the Phoenix side. But then once the point... Uh, total came out it had a really high over under I think that last game was like 218 points or so yeah um before we get to the specific players I think yeah, there's something interesting going on with that because when Tyreek Evans was ruled out I guess it was two games ago against the Celtics the opening over under was 200 and it moved to 204 and then for the last game against Phoenix the opening number was actually only 213 and then when the game started I think it actually had reached 219 218 and a half maybe somewhere around there um, so the total is actually moving up in Tyreek Evans' absence, which I think is a little counterintuitive because he's good offensively and the Grizzlies don't have a lot of offensive players. But Evans might be good enough defensively and the Grizzlies' other players might be bad enough defensively that their defense suffers without Evans. And I think maybe they play more half-court offense with Evans. So maybe they're more of a pace-up te- pace team without Tyreek. And... I don't know that we can use what's happened so far this season to quantify that because it seems like sort of a new thing where the Grizzlies have kind of made it a point to play faster. Do you think that's possible or Tyreek being no, out? No, they're last in the league in pace. But just, just in the last couple of games since Tyreek Evans hasn't played. Uh, I, could, I could look at just the last few games' pace. I just think they're, I just think they're so bad. But the, the over-under is moving up four points and six points over the last two games there's something going on there, and it's not its not just the I, opponent. I think, I think that people just look at Memphis and assume it's a really good defensive team when they were above average for most of the year, but they've fallen all the way to 19th in defensive efficiency now. They're also trending down. So as slow pace as they play, I think that the players, at least for DFS, tend to be priced down a little bit too much for the matchups against them because they're just a below-average defensive team. So... They're at 19th now. They were, I think, as high as 10th or something. So they're probably bottom, I'm guessing, like bottom eight or so in defensive efficiency. So I just think that they're a shitty enough team and they play bad enough players that that the, the quality of their defense just offsets the slow pace. So looking at the players from Denver... There is a slight downgrade to them just because Paul Millsap is back now. 
But I still think 9700 is probably too cheap for Jokic. I think 6200 is too cheap for Gary Harris. I think 6500 is probably too cheap for Jamal Murray. From the Memphis side of the game, Tyreek Evans is out again. Andrew Harrison is questionable. If Andrew Harrison is out, we already know that Tyreek Evans is out, obviously. I just assume that Mario Chalmers is going to have to play a ton of minutes at 3,500 at point guard. Even if Kobe Simmons is going to play some point guard minutes, there's still probably 28 to 32 minutes in a worst-case scenario for Mario Chalmers. So a strong play for me at 3,500. I think Marcus Sol is a really good play at 7,900. Jarrell Martin is a good play at 4,500. He came off the bench last game, but still ended up playing, how many minutes was it? I think it was over 30. It was, oh, he played 37 minutes, even though he came off the bench last game. So, regardless, strong play for Drill Martin at 4,500. His price hasn't gone up much. I think this is probably going to be a really strong stack spot again, unless there's something super surprising where the point total for this game comes out really low, but I don't expect that to happen. Well, last thing on the pace, and this is kind of anecdotal, but just from watching it, there was a 212-point final total. That was how many points were actually scored in the game, was 212. But the teams were playing really fast. They just couldn't score. I mean, the Suns and Grizzlies are bad it's, offensive teams. It's bad. They're just Yeah, they're just bad. But they were playing very fast. So maybe it's true that the Grizzlies are playing faster now. Maybe it's true that the Grizzlies will just do whatever pace their opponent is doing because they have a bunch of young players that, I guess, like if the Suns are running, the young players on the Grizzlies – are more unstable than a team that kind of has like a set system where they have plays in place and everything. And they're doing the same stuff game to game. The Grizzlies, I guess are more just winging it. So maybe that's kind of the reason that they kind of just play up tempo if they're playing an up tempo team and maybe they play slow when they play a slow team, but this is definitely all speculative anyway. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the over under does. I definitely think we'll need to get some indication based on that, but I do agree with you. The uh, nuggets guys are all probably just a little bit underpriced. So I think I would use them or be more inclined to use them just because there could be a lot of value on the Memphis side, definitely with Marcus Gasol, possibly with Mario Chalmers, and then uh, Drell Martin, Michael Green. I think those guys are still, yeah, those guys are still pretty I cheap. I like Drell Martin. I think Jermichael Green's a little bit too expensive. What is, where did I lost Jermichael? 6,600. Yeah. Martin, definitely better play than Green. Uh, Dylan Brooks is only 4,300, but definitely prefer Martin to Brooks, although I think Brooks would make some sense for game stacks. But yeah, because there's so much value potentially on the Grizzlies side, it makes sense anyway to use Denver's players. And I think probably Jokic, Murray, Harris, I think those would be the main guys. Um, is there a Will Barton narrative? Did He pl- He didn't play for the Grizzlies, but he went to Memphis. Is that, uh, is that something to possibly consider or that's irrelevant? All right, the next game on the slate <laughs> is the Dallas Mavericks at the... You're going to get asked the question, so that was, that was just giving it to you now so you're prepared. Uh, so the uh, Mavericks at the Bulls. Dallas actually favored in this game 213-point total from the Dallas. I think Dennis Smith Jr. is an okay play, but nothing too intriguing about that side of the game. From the Bulls' side... Cristiano Felicio is now priced at four thousand. Uh, he, let me see, how did he finish last game? I think he he didn't reach thirty, even though he got twenty in the first quarter. That's does that sound right? Uh, yeah, about right. I still think there's value in Felicio at four thousand. I don't think that he's some superb play, but I think he's worth being in the player pool. Uh, 
Denzel Valentine, I think, is a were, is a worthwhile play at 4,800 because Paul Zipser has been ruled out again. Last game with Zipser out, Valentine played just under 30 minutes, scored 30 fantasy points. So I think that he's a decent play here. And I think Zach Levine, his price has gone down a little bit to 7,100. I think that he's worth playing. Yeah, I, th- I think I just agree with you on those guys. But one other player who surprisingly got minutes last game was Nerlens Noel being back for Dallas. He's he's min price. He's 3K. Um, do you think Noel plays 20-plus minutes? Because if he plays 20 to 25 minutes at min price, especially being a center, I mean, it's easy to score fantasy points. I think it's, there's less dud potential as a center than there is as a point guard. Do you think Noel would be someone to use, or is it just so little upside there? You know, I think he is a really interesting GPP play. Not somebody I would have a lot of exposure to, but worth, like, if I'm making 20 lineups, I wouldn't mind putting Noel in one or two, just because he has been such a good fantasy producer at times. And, I mean, he has started games for the Mavericks this year. He didn't really do much in those starts. He started six games, played 20 minutes, and scored 15 and a half fantasy points per game. Uh, so... He definitely hasn't been nearly as big a part of the Mavericks' plans I thought he would be this year. But I still think that he's a talented player. So I, I think the talent warrants rostering him at 3,000 just because of the potential upside, even if there isn't a high chance of him reaching that ceiling. Yeah, I guess the the only thing that I'm going back and forth on is that there there's probably almost no chance that he plays more than 25 minutes, let's say, because he's been hurt so much. And he probably, even if they're not saying it, the Mavericks probably have him on some kind of minutes watch. So maybe he plays 24 minutes at the absolute most. But even so, like 24 minutes at min price for someone who has sometimes been a good producer. Uh, point per minute there, that's eight times. That's like 8x. So yeah, I, th- I think that Noel, yeah, I'm not saying he's a safe play either, but there's definitely upside for him. Yeah, and let me look at like, I think this entire season to this point has just kind of been a wash for Noel. I'm not going to look too much into his numbers but uh, for this year. But if we look at last year, he played 20 and a half minutes per game and scored 21 and a half fantasy points. The year before, he played 29 minutes per game and scored about 30 fantasy points. Like, I feel good saying he's a point-per-minute producer, and I think there's a chance that he plays 25 minutes. And it's a good matchup. Uh, playing against the Bulls is pretty good for well for anyone but for centers especially yeah no i think uh, i think that's a good interesting gpp call uh next game on the slate the toronto raptors playing in washington against the wizards from the toronto side of the game uh what kyle lowry has gotten really cheap and he actually played pretty well last game so I think Lowry is still worth playing. DeRozan's price has also gone down. What is he's been playing not as well recently, uh, but I think Lowry and DeRozan are still definitely cash game viable. I think they're both really safe at seventy six and seventy five hundred in this matchup. Not much blowout risk. Uh, that has been one of the issues with the Raptors lately. Is they've blown a lot of teams out. The Raptors have been really good. Uh, the other one is Jonas Valanciunas at fifty three hundred. Just because we've seen a lot of upside from Valanciunas when he gets decent minutes. He was priced at 6400 just last week. Uh, yes, the minutes were down the last couple of games. Uh, the game against the Magic, he got in really quick foul trouble early. 
And the game against Detroit, they won by 31 points, was it, or 29 points. So that kept them to 22 minutes. So I, I think that Valanchunas is worth looking at in GPPs. From the Wizards' side of the game, uh, Sadoransky has played well without John Wall. There's kind of this narrative now that the Wizards are a better team with Sadoransky as opposed to John Wall. It's not true. John Wall's a better basketball player. The Wizards have played well recently, but not going to buy into that too much. Tough matchup for Sadoransky. I'll be off him. I think Bradley Beal is an okay play 8,300. Not really a massive amount of upside, but also, I think, good cash game play. And then also worth mentioning that he's just a much better player at home versus on the road. Scores 41 fantasy points in Washington this year, 37 fantasy points on the road, and shoots a decent amount better from the field at home. So two questions for you. Do you think the Wizards are better defensively with Sadoransky? And no. would you ra- <laughs> That's a no? And no. the other one is, do you, would you rather play Beal or Otto Porter? Because I think Porter coming off his last monster game against the Warriors is going to be pretty popular. And he's kind of around the same price, but it's, it's a tough matchup against Toronto. It's, it's still Beal for me just because I think that Beal's better. And I do think of Beal as having more upside. Uh, another thing also is with uh, uh, Sadoransky, with Wall on the court this year, the Wizards are giving up 108 points per 100 possessions. With Sadoransky on the floor, they give up uh, about 109 points per 100 possessions. Sadoransky's played really well this year. I just think it's over his head, and still the numbers support that they've been better with Wall on the floor. And Sadoransky has shot some ridiculous percentage as a starter this year. I think he's done a lot of really unsustainable things. So even him playing way over his head, it, it, the numbers still back up the Wizards being better with Wall on the floor this year. And Wall's been hurt for most of the year, not playing at less than 100%. Yeah, that, that, is, that is all fair. So I think the players I like the most for this game then, probably Beal. I mean, I think Lowry and DeRozan are fine. But Beal at home, his price is down a little bit. I think I prefer him. But my favorite player from the game is Valanchunas. He, he actually was up to 6K last week. He's only at 5,300 now. Wizards are bad defensively against centers. And there's just GPP upside for Valanchunas always if he happens to get 30 minutes in a game or just has one of those first quarters where he gets a putback on every possession. Uh, I think Valanchunas has the most upside for his price of all those guys. Uh, so some funny, just fluky numbers before we move on on Sadoransky. As a starter this year, he's shooting 58% from the field and 1,000 from the free throw line. He's not missed a free throw as a starter, and he's shooting 64% from the free throw line coming off the bench this year. So lock it in. He's going to miss a free throw tomorrow. That's that's what you've just done. You've uh, He's probably more likely to not get to the free throw line because that's not something he does a lot. But yeah. I just think it's a funny thing that he shot 70% from the free throw line the entirety of last season. And this year, 64% coming off the bench and has made every single free throw as a starter. He just likes being a starter, I guess. He plays well when he starts. Some guys just need to be in the starting lineup to get their confidence up. Yeah, or it's just a very... He's also not a 58% shooter from the field. (laughs) Yeah, I think think we're on the same page here. All right. uh, Next game, the Indiana Pacers at the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, Victor Oladipo, tough matchup for him. I just think he continues to be a little bit underpriced so 8900 I'm definitely fine with rostering him for the longest time this year I just thought 
the steals and blocks, the stocks numbers for Victor Oladipo, totally unsustainable. I thought they made no sense. And, I mean, they just aren't going away. Last game, we were very high on Oladipo. He ended up having a good game because he had six steals and a block. Uh, He's averaging two and a half steals and a block per game this year. The defensive numbers have just been ridiculous, and I I just think they're staying. I don't know. I don't know what it is about them. He had really high defensive numbers in Orlando also, so maybe it's something about the Oklahoma City Thunder's defensive system that they encourage players to not take risks on defense that his defensive stats were down last year. But I I don't really think they're all that fluky. I I think he's just going to keep racking up a lot of defensive stats. Also something worth noting, I know that we just kind of cover the DraftKings pricing. But Oladipo's just a ridiculous play on FanDuel almost every night because of the amount of steals and blocks he gets and them being worth extra points. Uh, from the Milwaukee side of the game, I think that Giannis is a good play at his price at 10100 And then maybe one of my favorite plays on the slate, I don't really have, uh, like I haven't started building lineups yet, obviously this far in advance. Jabari Parker, 4700 his minutes... We're only 18 last game, except I think it was because it was the tail end of a back-to-back. It was also a blowout. The game before that, he played 27 minutes against the Wizards. I think we probably see 28 to 30 minutes of Jabari Parker in this game. Last year, he was priced over 7,000 before the ACL injury, and he was and he played 34 minutes per game. If we're going to expect around 30 minutes from Parker, that's not really drastically different from 30. But a 4,700 price tag versus like a 7,300 price tag is a massive difference. I think Parker is a really strong value play. So just to play devil's advocate before I agree with most of what you said, um, the Bucks have more options this year because they didn't have Eric Bledsoe last year. So Jabari Parker's usage probably can't be quite as high, but he is coming off the bench. So maybe it's not that big of a downgrade that Milwaukee has more players this year. Um, I, I do think that this is we've now reached that point that you were talking about where Jabari Parker is about to see his minutes restriction fully come off, and you can basically start playing him in a lot of lineups every night until his price goes up. So even if Parker's not going to reach the 7,500 that he was last year, 4,700 is still way too low if he's playing 25 or more minutes, and he might play 30 minutes. I mean, he might just start playing 30 minutes every night from here. 27 for last, well, the last game that wasn't a back-to-back it probably should go up because he was still on a restriction for that game. So I think from this point forward, it makes sense to just use Jabari Parker every single night, regardless of matchup, because there's so much upside for him if he gets to 30 to 35 minutes again. Yeah, and I also think think what you said about his usage is a concern and then also not a concern because the other point you made about him coming off the bench, he has about a 25% usage rating this year. It was 26% last year and then 21% two years ago. So I, I think that the usage is not too much of a concern with him coming off the bench right now. Yeah, I think it could still be around where it was last year. And I, the Bucks have staggered their minutes really well this year. I think they've continued to do so even after Jason Kidd was fired. It was like the one thing that Jason Kidd was good at was staggering the minutes. So Even though if he did it to play random players. Right, but he, at least for the core players, for Giannis, for Bledsoe, for Middleton, and I guess for Parker, the minutes were staggered properly for those guys, even though the other players coming in just made no sense. But yeah, uh, that does make it a little bit easier to roster Bucks guys in general. 
Um, do you think Giannis is the best player to pay up for over 10K? Because it does seem like this is way too cheap for him. He's been over 11K recently, and it's a good matchup at home against the Pacers. I do not think he's the best, and the reason why is because the next game on the slate is the Oklahoma City Thunder at the Phoenix Suns. All right, we'll we'll get to that, but Giannis, at least we we definitely agree he's a strong play, even if maybe Westbrook or almost definitely Westbrook is better. But yeah, I, I think Oladipo makes plenty of sense. I think you could definitely build mini stacks for this game with Parker, Giannis, and Oladipo in them. Uh, maybe John Henson too. Forty six hundred seems a little bit cheap for him but I don't really think there's anyone else on the Pacers to use. So I wouldn't go with full-on game stacks, but Oladipo is certainly in play. Okay, so the next game we have here is the Oklahoma City Thunder at the Phoenix Suns. TJ Warren's currently questionable, so we don't have a spread. We don't have an over-under. I think it's safe to assume that this game is going to have the highest point total on the slate. Uh, or at, le- at the very least, it's going to be close to the Golden State at Atlanta game. I think we can confidently say that it will be. Uh, right now, the, the two highest are Golden State Atlanta and Knicks Clippers, both at 226. I think this game should be around 230. Um, the, the question I have here is, will it stay close through four quarters? And I think that it's probably more likely to be a competitive game than not be a competitive game just because the Thunder are not really all that great, and it is still a road game. So I think there's a pretty good chance that the Suns keep it close enough. I think Westbrook is the guy to pay up for on the slate. It might seem a little obvious, except he's a very good fantasy producer. The Suns are a very bad defense. They also play at a really fast pace. So really strong spot for Westbrook. I think Paul George is a bit too expensive. I think Steven Adams is okay. Carmelo Anthony, I haven't liked him a lot this year, except 6,100. We've seen him over 7,000 times this year. Once again, really bad Suns defense, so I think that he's usable. From the Suns side of the game, it's hard to really say too much about them because Tyson Chandler and TJ Warren are both questionable right now. Uh, If TJ Warren's out, then Josh Jackson is a really strong value play at 6,200. And then I think Alfred Payton and uh, Devin Booker, are both decent plays, and I would use them in lineups with Westbrook. Well, I think Peyton and Booker are usable anyway. I think Peyton, 6,800, that's way too cheap for him. And it's still the case that the Thunder are worse defensively without Andre Robertson. So it's probably a good matchup for the Suns. I actually think that this spread will be reasonably close for this game. Like If I had to guess right now, I think the Suns are probably about seven or so point underdogs. It's probably more likely to stay close than not to stay close. And the Suns play most of their starters through garbage time anyway. I mean, Devin Booker doesn't really come out of games in the fourth quarter unless they're down more than 15 or 20. So even if it's a 10 or 12-point game with a couple of minutes left, there's no way Booker's not on the court unless he's hurt or playing terribly or something like that. Um, but the problem with the rest of the Suns is we may not have that Chandler and Warren news before lock. And if we don't have it, I think Alex Len is definitely fadeable because 5600 for him might even just be a fair price anyway, even if Chandler's out. Um, and then Warren is priced. Let me find that again. Warren's at 6400 so maybe there's a little value on him if he's playing, but not worth taking the risk if we don't know for sure that he's playing. And then with Josh Jackson up to 6200 he's a good value if Warren's out, but there's no way you can play him if Warren might be in. Because that's just way too expensive for him in that situation. He might only play, I think he was playing 20 to 25 minutes the last few games. 
since uh, since the Alfred Payton trade when Warren and Booker were both healthy. So Jackson could be really popular too after his massive game that he had last time out. And if Warren plays, Jackson probably doesn't even see 25 minutes. So I think I'm definitely off Josh Jackson unless we know for sure that TJ Warren's out. So a, a game stack would look something like Booker, Payton, Westbrook, and then Mello or Adams, maybe both, um, unless we get more Suns injury news. Uh, yeah, I agree with all that. Uh, I think this is probably going to be a strong stack spot that o- that OKC Phoenix game, which not really surprising when it's going to have the highest total on the slate. Uh, next game, Minnesota playing on the tail end of a back-to-back in Utah. I think the Minnesota side of the game is a fade for me. Carl Anthony Towns has been really good lately. He was really good last night. There's extra usage for him without Jimmy Butler there, but too tough a matchup against Rudy Gobert and the Jazz. From the Jazz side of the game, I think there's some pricing value on Gobert just because his price has gone all the way down to 6900 He's had a couple of tough games in a row where he hasn't had great output, but they also might have to play him a couple extra minutes in this one to match up against Towns. So I, I like Rudy Gobert because of his price tag. Yeah, I agree with you on Gobert, and then I think Rubio makes some sense at 5,900, especially with the Rubio-Gobert correlation, but that seems a little too cheap for him also, and Jeff Teague is not good defensively. It's the one area where the Wolves are the worst on defense this year, but Donovan Mitchell could make some sense too because he gets a boost with um, with Jimmy Butler out and the Wolves being worse defensively at shooting guard as well. So maybe... I don't know if you compare Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. It doesn't seem like there's been much correlation between those guys. So maybe it's play Gobert by himself, Rubio with Gobert, or just Mitchell on his own. Plus, it's Ricky Rubio revenge games. That you know, that means he's going to throw better passes, I guess. Oh man, you're bringing the narrative now. Yeah, I didn't even think of that one. Yeah, he's such a low usage player. So, and that's what Ricky Rubio likes to do is pass. So I guess better passes. He's going to get more steals in this game too. Yeah, more more steals and really really crisp passes. Uh, probably some nice some nice bounce passes. behind the back too. Yeah, he's gonna make it. He's gonna do fancy ones. Maybe it's worth fading him if he's gonna be too. Uh, he's gonna have too much flair to his game. It's gonna be very fancy. Uh, final game on the slate is the Knicks at the Lake uh, Lakers. Knicks at the Clippers. From the Knicks side of the game, it, it's been kind of hard to nail down some of the Knicks minutes recently because they've taken away minutes from guys like Beasley and Canner. Hardaway's still playing a decent amount of minutes, but kind of the older guys, they've played less minutes to give minutes to guys like Luke Cornett and to play all of the 80 point guards that they have on their roster right now. So Trey Burke at 5,100. Let's see, what have his minutes been recently? Like Trey Burke has been ridiculously good and I, I've talked about Trey Burke a few times on the podcast. I've definitely uh, Trey Burke's probably the most irrelevant player that I've texted Matt about multiple times this year. I I think at 5100, I'm okay with being off of Trey Burke. He's I think he was a good play when he was in like the below 4000 in the 3000 range, but he's still only playing about 25 minutes or so. So 5100, I'm off him. Clippers side of the game. Uh, Austin Rivers, I think, is okay to play at 5,800 just because his dad's the coach and insists on playing him a ton of minutes every single game. So Austin Rivers, because it's a plus matchup, Emmanuel Moutier is an awful defender. So I think that is a good price tag for Austin Rivers. 
overall, I don't really think this is a great game to target, even though it has a high over-under. I think there's a lot of fair pricing. Yeah, uh, one thing that could change that a little is if Ty Wallace doesn't end up playing. I think, are the Clippers signing him for the rest of the season, or they haven't determined if they're signing him yet? Um, it seems like they're leaning towards not signing him, and I have also read that they're looking into signing Derrick Rose, which... This is going to sound ridiculous. I think the number one reason Doc Rivers wouldn't want to sign Derrick Rose is because he could cut into Austin Rivers' playing time. Yeah, those guys are very similar players at this point in their careers. Yeah, that, I actually think Austin Rivers is a lot better than Derrick Rose. <laughs> at least they do similar things. Yeah, Rose is pretty awful. So, okay. If Derrick Rose is on the team, that would be bad. If Ty well, Wallace... If even if they do sign him, it wouldn't be for tomorrow's game. Though. Yeah, that, that that is true. So, if we assume Ty Wallace is out... That I guess is more minute security for Rivers. Maybe it, it makes Tia Dosich more worth playing. I think he's sort of an okay play, but yeah, th- this is not a strong game to target. I think Michael Beasley, even though his minutes have been down, has a lot of upside because if the Knicks play him thirty minutes, he's only fifty eight hundred, and he's been so good when he is on the court, just points per minute because of yeah, his the issue I have, rate. This, these are his minutes from the last three games, 23, 29, and 26 minutes. Yeah, he played 40 the game just before that. Um, and these games, they haven't been blowouts, actually. Even in the close game against Orlando, well, I guess Kylo Quinn and Ennis Cantor played well in that game. The, last... the other thing also, though, is that, that last game where he played... Uh, 40 minutes was prior to the All-Star break. After the All-Star break, they've totally removed Jared Jack from the rotation, which I think is a sign that they're really just moving towards we're trying to get young guys minutes, which I think is the main reason for the drop-off in minutes for Beasley. I I don't think it's a coincidence that after the All-Star break, his minutes dropped. Yeah, I think that's fair. But even in 28 minutes at 5,800, that should still be a strong play. Like Beasley's usage over the last three games has been much lower than normal for him. Um, I guess for whatever reason, he just hasn't been shooting very much. But the last two games were also against the Warriors and Celtics. So just really tough matchups. I mean, he was guarded by Kevin Durant, I think, or maybe it was Draymond Green last game. The game before, I mean, everyone on the Celtics is good defensively. This is a much easier matchup. So I think he's risky because he might only play 22 minutes. But even if he plays like 29 minutes, I think he's cheap enough where he could pretty easily put up 35 to 40 fantasy points in that amount of minutes. And that would be really strong value for his price because he was at 7,100 just a few games ago. Now he's only at 58. Yeah. I mean, I, I could see the, the route for the upside. I just, I, right now I don't think that's a spot that I'm going to go though. There might just be better bets at the same price. Like we we're waiting on some injury news. So I think he's one of those guys for me at least where if, value doesn't open up from some of these injury situations, then we need more fringe plays. And I think Beasley is one of the better fringe plays, at least, even though it's he's, he is still kind of marginal. All right. Anything else to add for the slate? Um, I think that is just about it. I'm looking now to see if there's been any drastic line movements because a lot of times our phones will be tapped when we're podcasting, and then by the end of the episode, all the Vegas lines will have moved because of what we've said. Uh, that doesn't seem to be the case this time. So maybe uh, maybe it's too late at night. Maybe no one's tuning in. All right. Well, the FanDuel tournaments are officially over. So, Matt, good job because you did come in second place in the $9 in FanDuel. Uh, almost first place, except got knocked down on a late block by Al Farouk Aminu, or Al Farouk Amino, as Reggie Miller was calling him. 
but that will wrap up today's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GRNBergDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at Preaching Sense. Everybody have a good weekend. We'll be back on Monday.